Welcome to Learning Through Math, the podcast. I'm Laura at I Teach the Why. I'm Karina at Mrs. Cousins 5. Our mission is to inspire ourselves and others to keep learning and improving with passion. And hugs. You can find us at learningthroughmath.com and on Twitter at Laura and Karina. Come and join us on this journey of learning. Thanks for joining us. We are recording this in ooh March of 2023. I had to stop a second because it's our spring break. <laughs> right? We lose all track of, <laughs> of days and what when it is, what it is. All right. And ep- welcome to episode 105, What is Rough Draft Math? And people, if you've been living under a rock, hopefully you know by now that we are doing a book club using Amanda Jansen's book, Rough Draft Math, Revising to Learn. And that's something that we're going to get into today. Or if you've been on your spring break like us right. and have no idea what day it is, what time it is, right? That to me is living under a rock, which which I, I get. I totally understand. <laughs> Listen, I'm not even home. I'm up in Orlando staying with friends of mine and um, just going into the Disney parks, which is fantastic, fun, love it. Ap- Absolutely. Hmm. All right. Our shout out today, Laura? Yes, is for one of our listeners who tagged us on Twitter, Lynette Shaw. She's at Lynette Shaw 100. Now, Lynette, I want to know why it's 100 after that. She uh, tagged us in another person's tweet, which is Annie Forrest at Mrs. Forrest. Annie wrote, friends that teach or work with teachers in grades five to eight What are your thoughts on, quote, review day before each quiz or test? When is it important? When is it not? Should we do them? If you like it, what activities do you do? Practice test, review game. And so Lynette tagged us and said, at Laura and Karina, I just listened to your podcast episode about this. Maybe some new thoughts here. Okay. I'm thinking, well, don't do it the day before. (laughs) At least no matter what, don't do it the day of. Okay. Right. Right. People that puts things into kids short term or even their working memory, not into their long term memory. And that's what we want to know if the math has quote stuck. Right. Right. Yeah. uh, For the day before, I mean, our district does a nice job of giving us a day to review. And I do think that it's important because as we talked about, usually in the unit, when you follow a unit, the word problems, the hardest parts of the unit are at the very end. So of course we want kids to practice. Of course, we just need them to practice in a way that they can like self-correct and sell, you know, like know that they are right or wrong, that they know they're getting the right answers or the wrong answers, because if they're constantly practicing, but they're practicing incorrectly, that's not helping anybody. No. So what I do like are things like pixel art that's, that's, on the computer. And so the computer will, because that's fun, right? It's like a game. The kids love those, by the way, they absolutely. Are you talking about like the mystery picture? That are yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, okay. yeah. So they, so it's on Google Sheets, and there's questions there. It's, I mean, most of them are calculations. They're not. Right. It's not like it's, you know, these beautiful, wonderful tasks that they're trying to solve. But if you're just looking for that kind of practice, I feel like that's 
fun, engaging. Kids get into it. And I mean, that's what you want, right? You want it to be fun for them. You want it to be engaging. Didn't you make one of these? Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> I was like, I think last year, the year before you did, didn't I you? I did, yes. And then escape rooms are a big hit too, you yes. know, where they have a code that they have to put in in order to get to the next level. So like that kind of gamifying, gamification yes. of of math is, is fun for them. So mm-hmm. I, I think when you can bring in something like that, that's a, like a game and they enjoy it and they have fun with it then why not? Exactly. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But I mean, one thing that I was thinking of also after listening again to our episode, I totally forgot to mention something like Flip. So Microsoft Flipped. It used to be Flipgrid where kids can make make videos of – whatever prompt it is that you you give them. And I have used this in the past and I need to use it again. It's just, it's, it is tricky when kids don't have access to computers or iPads right. at home, you know, it's harder to do. But um, I did do it where they did it for homework and they had to choose a problem from their from their homework sheet and they had to model it in some way, right? Explain it, teach it to all of us. I remember and when their, you did this. <laughs> yeah. And their videos were so good. And again, like then you have those videos, you can show them to your next classes, your next year's class. So I think something like that is really beneficial. Also, it's a great way to review. Well, how do you, how do you see it? How do you solve it? How can you explain it? I mean, that's if they can explain it, they understand it, right? Exactly. Yep. As long as it's with a model and not just procedure or an algorithm. Right, right. And giving them the choice. Again, we talked about choice and how important that is, right? So if you have to show this and model it and explain it and teach it to somebody, how would you do it? Mm -hmm. So Okay. I was going to share something as a reflection, but I think I'm changing this to good news because on my spring break here, and of course I'm scrolling through Twitter because isn't that what we all do, right? Mm -hmm. Still try to learn. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And I came across NCTM and it says our latest position statement on procedural fluency in hashtag mathematics is out now. Read the full statement here. And of course I'll link it in the show notes for everybody. Yeah. But Karina hasn't heard this yet. No. There's basically four position statements, and I'm going to read each one to you, and then we can talk about that, okay? Okay. So the first one says, and I just want to say, shout out, thank you, NCTM, for putting this out. All right? First one, conceptual understanding must precede and coincide with instruction on procedures. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's the whole CRA thing, sweet spot in the middle. Yes. Like a thousand percent. A thousand percent. The second one says procedural fluency requires having a repertoire of strategies. Yeah. Okay. So pause for a second. So I do want to talk about both of those actually, because they do both combine. But you and I both know when we went to the session, the the week training, uh, Eric Jensen, the brain, learning about how the brain works and everything. It was teaching with the brain in mind or teaching. Yeah. It's all about connections. So we, we know that. We know that the more connections are being made, the, those neurons that are connecting to each other, the more – The better understanding. Yes. So if you can connect it to the conceptual and the representational, the procedure is going to stick. Exactly. And that's what we want. You know, at the end of the day, we want them to be able to 
whatever procedure they want to use, we want them to be able to use it effectively. Exactly. Okay, here comes the third one. Ready? Mm -hmm. Basic facts should be taught using number relationships and reasoning strategies, not memorization. Uh, NCTM, mic drop right there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Okay. And here comes the last one. Ready? Okay. Mm -hmm. Assessing must attend to fluency components and the learner. Assessments often assess accuracy, neglecting efficiency and flexibility. Yeah. Uh, Yes. (laughs) A hundred thousand percent. Okay. Can can you go – and let's go back to number three for a second. What was number three again? Basic facts should be taught using number relationships and reasoning strategies not memorization. Yeah. So here's here's the problem. Why, right? Because if you memorize something, you again, you haven't made those connections. And this is where, I think I said this in the last episode, this is where the summer slide comes in. Yes. Because they come back from summer and they don't know any of it. And you know mm-hmm. that they've been taught it. Mm-hmm. They, you know that it's been ta- quote unquote taught. And maybe it's they maybe, shown. Maybe they, they quote unquote learned it that right. year. Yeah. But then they but come then, back and there's nothing. And it's nothing. out. It's out yeah. the door. Exactly. So that's the problem and that's the battle that we're trying to like tackle, I guess. Yeah, it's true. But I love it. Number relationships and reasoning strategies. So if you don't know six times seven, well, maybe you know five times seven and add one more group of seven on there. Yeah. Yes. You know? Yes. And then fluency is not just accuracy. It's efficiency and flexibility. And I'm so glad that this is in a way that's accessible to teachers to understand. Yeah. And I do feel like this is also kind of in response to the science of math that's been going out and <laughs> um, has been has been popping up on, on Twitter as well, Laura. And I just want to tell the wanted, listeners, yeah. Yeah, we, we talked about discussing it here on today's episode. However, I don't have my arsenal of weaponry, aka all my books, because yeah. I'm not at home. So we're going to save that for another episode and maybe even have a guest or two come on to talk about science yeah, th- of math. Yeah, I think that that would be helpful. And I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to be like, calm even saying those words right now because I did start like digging down the rabbit hole and I don't like what I see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. (laughs) Moving on. Yes. Moving on. Let's talk about rough draft math. So okay, let's do the that. First, the first thing we want to talk, we've, we've been really enjoying the book so far. We're only right now, as of right now, we've only read chapter two, right? Chapter one and chapter two. I haven't gone into anything else. You haven't read chapter three yet. Have I you? haven't yet. No, I'm okay. going to wait till the day of book club and yeah, read it. Because honestly, I didn't bring it with me. Whoops. That's but fine. I, I also forgot my toothpaste. So there you go. Oh, had, to, <laughs> had to go to Target to get some toothpaste. Oh, man. <laughs> so we're just going to, just from what we have learned so far, just kind of give you like a little bit of a preview of the book and what the idea of rough draft math is. So Laura, do you want to start with what it is, a definition? Yes. And I think even the part that is highlighted, I think I'm going to read the sentence underneath it first, where it says, learning is a messy business. Yeah. Learning is a messy business. 
So if nothing else, listener, take that about rough draft math. And a couple of things that it says is, you know, rough drafts in mathematics go beyond talking to learn and to include writing to learn or drawing pictures of our thinking to learn. Shifting the classroom culture towards communicating to learn puts students in the role of sense makers. Mm. And again, that's a little different from science of math, I feel. Okay, I'm not going down that rabbit hole today. No, don't. Okay, rough draft thinking happens when students share their unfinished, in-progress ideas and remain open to revising those ideas. And there's Mm. three features of rough draft math. It's imperfect but precise, unfinished and unsure, and involves revisiting and revising. And I think one of the big takeaways about this is that, you know, we do, and you've said this before, we do rough draft writing in, you know, essays and stuff and writing. Why don't we do that? in math as well. And one thing I'm I'm thinking about when we talked with our book club members is about or maybe this was even somewhere else was I reading, you tell me, about like the amount of time that we need to give kids. Did we talk mm-hmm. about this in book club? I think so, yeah. About, you know, you can't stop them too early, but you can't stop them too late yeah. because you don't want them to be finished with, okay, here's here's where it's at, we're done. Right. Right. We want to have that sweet spot. So just like BTC, Building Thinking Classrooms, it's with the flow, you have to figure out those little micro moves at the right time. Yeah. What did you want to share? The imperfect but precise. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because that was that seems contradictory as to what that means. Imperfect but precise. Um, so my take on it was that when you're when you're learning something, you're obviously you're not going to be starting at where you need to be, right? You're going to be still trying to formulate the thoughts and and, and have, make you don't the have connections, the language. right? Make the connections yeah. to something you've already learned. And what did you say about the language that you don't have the language, right? right? In one of the examples, I loved that- it that she shared, right? She was, they were saying, oh, that rectangle shape thing, right? Or something like that. And that wasn't obviously, I think it was, was it a rhombus? It was like a, or a parallelogram? Or something. Yeah, yeah. That Okay. So they, the kids didn't have the language yet, but we don't want to, we want, we don't want to stop that. We want to encourage that, but then we want to correct it, you know? Right. So you want to, you when they're learning something, they might not have the language for it. And it, it, that, that's okay. It's okay not to – so it's okay to be imperfect but precise about it. Does that make sense? Yes. I, don't I totally yeah. understand what you're saying. Okay. And, and and then maybe that that is part of being precise because you need to be imperfect first before you can – move into that preciseness. And then the unfinished and unsure, uh, of course. I mean, I do that all the time with building thinking classrooms. We don't always have time to finish. That's okay. Right. It's all right, you know, because then it's the conversation that we have afterwards. Well, yes. where did you get stuck? H- how could we have moved forward? What are some things, what are some ways that we could we could finish? And sometimes we just don't finish and that's a, that's fine. We don't get an answer the work is up on the boards and that's where that's where it stays. And I, I do with, I'm going to just follow up with BTC on that, is that that's where that consolidation part yeah. becomes so important. Yes. Because 
Where, where did I, I'm sure it was Jenny Bay Williams that said, um, even if they didn't finish their work, they've started it. Yeah. Right. And and that gets them thinking where it's like a work in progress. What did she call it? I don't even remember. Oh my gosh. Sorry. It's okay. Jenny, just let me know what I'm trying to say. I, I know you know. <laughs> I'll tag her, ask her. (laughs) And then the last one involves revisiting and revising. I think like you said, we don't, we do that in other subjects, but we don't necessarily do that in math and we need to. Yes. There's a a lot of benefits in going back to your work to see how you solve something and how your thinking has changed and progressed even throughout a unit. So I was listening to Pam and Kim's latest episode and it was their fractions, dividing fractions Fractions. part three episode. Mm -hmm. And that got me thinking as soon as you read involves revisiting and revising. Because with the problem strings that Pam was giving Kim, every time that she did that, Kim went back to, well, this is what you just did. Right. So here's how I'm thinking about this for this problem. And so again, problem strings, I mean, another great way for kids to make connections. I was just about to say to make connections. (laughs) Again, making those connections because- we want their work to be more than just memorizing. We want their work to be what they understand and what they see. Yeah. I, that's I was just going to say understand as soon as mm-hmm. you said it. Yeah. Okay. And then another thing that was brought up in chapters one and two was the rights of a learner. Oh, yeah. And I I love these. Um, I actually, the first time I, I, I think this is why I wanted to read the book, honestly. Yes. Uh, the first time I saw this or was heard about this was when Dr. Robert Barry did a session, at, I think at one of the virtual math summits. Right. And he discussed this, the rights of a learner, and that he, because he actually does the forward, he wrote the forward in rough draft math. And so he discussed it in one of his presentations. And that was the first, I think that was the first time I heard it. And I was just immediately drawn to that. The idea, number one, for rights of a learner, and that's on page 45 if you have the book. The rights of a learner, number one says, students have the right to be confused. And that, oh, that to me is, it's just so good. It's so good because kids always think that being confused is a bad thing, but it's a necessary thing in order to learn. I just love that so much. Me too. Number two says that students have the right to make mistakes. Number three says they have the right to only say or write what makes sense to you. So to them, right? Which is so good too. Number four, the right to revise your thinking. Oh, that's probably my favorite one. Yeah. And five, the right to not be defined by what you say at one point in time. Okay, that that has to stick for you and I because yeah. we we've been doing, you know, just over 100 episodes. I'm kind of afraid to go back and listen to what we said in the first, <laughs> you know, 30 or 50 or whatever. I I am going to link this to the show notes. I printed this out probably the first time that I heard about the rights of the learner and it's from Democracy and Education. The Rights of the Learner, a Framework for Promoting Equity Through Formative Assessment in Mathematics Education. Probably going to butcher her name. It was by Crystal A. Kalanick Craig. 
University of Texas at San Antonio. So I'm, I'll link that to the show notes so that if you want to yeah. go a little deeper into it, and there's a ton of references in there that, you know, you can, any anybody, listener, I don't mean you, Karina, I mean you, the listener, <laughs> can go down that rabbit hole as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's important to establish that classroom environment where kids are allowed to make mistakes, to revise their thinking to do all of that because if they don't again le- like right back to what you said at the beginning yes. learning is messy yep learning is messy it's not going to be all correct all the time and that's okay you know and i i say to kids all the time if you already know how to, how to do this what what are you sitting in front of me for right <laughs> you know if you've already learned this then what i mean what's the point I, I tell them it. that too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, say so, I say something really easy like, well, if I just kept t- telling you things that you knew, like here, look, this is blue. This is the color blue. And look over here. Oh, this is green. Uh, how boring would that be? I mean, you already know this information. That would not be interesting. Exactly. And some of them, of course, like they're like, well, but then I would get everything right. <laughs> <laughs> But that, but see, but that's the problem, right? We're answer getters and we're in education and we, we have valued getting the right answer because that's what we constantly do on standardized assessments and just looking, you know, getting a grade or all of that is just all about getting the right answer and not, we, we don't value in education. We don't value the thinking and that's where the shift has to take place. I think we should talk, you know, to our kids about being answer finders, mm. right? Or or something. Like we need some yeah. new new words Language. for that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Language. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last thing that I kind of wanted to talk about uh, that I really liked was on page 16. Amanda talks about how teaching is an act of empathy and you know, the idea that we don't, we're, we want to listen to kids, not listen for yes. answers, right? So giving them a space where they're, where they feel comfortable to express their ideas and we're really listening to those ideas, not just for those words, for those keywords that we want to hear or mm-hmm. for what we've said to them and they just repeat back. You know, we really want to listen to them. I, I'm going to um, link in the show notes. If you've never seen the presentation by Max, Max, I'm probably going to butcher your last name. Sorry, Ray Reich, and it's why two is greater than four. And of course, yeah. you know, when you first see it up on the screen, you're like, wait, two isn't greater than four. And you think about the numeral two and the greater than symbol and the numeral four, and it's like two isn't greater than four. But spoiler alert, you know, it's all about listening to kids instead of listening for what they say. Yes. 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 So good. Yeah. So what are some things that we can do in our classrooms in order to kind of have kids rough draft thinking when it comes to their math? I think, as I said before, I think it's important to create a classroom environment, first of all, because if you don't have that, you're not going to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. A classroom environment where mistakes are okay, where we share ideas, good or bad, you know, like that we we have that openness, that- that Vulnerability. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. That vulnerability 
to share ideas. I It's also important to be able to talk about correct and incorrect answers. So not just correct ones and not just incorrect ones, but to have, a, I think, a balance of both. And for me too, Laura, I think it's about not like really slowing down, right? To be able to articulate thinking and express ideas and share those ideas at multiple times throughout their learning process, making learning yeah. progress. Yeah. Idea making or a problem solving, right. Whatever mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. like you want to stop at multiple points, not just at the end, not just at the beginning. You want to, you want to show that learning is messy. Absolutely. Oh my God. Any others? Um, I think you you summed it up pretty well. And if I forgot anything, I'll I'll say it in the reflection for next week. But listeners, we want to throw out our challenge to you. Of course, it's the same as a couple weeks. Join us in this learning journey and join our book club. I do want to shout out all of our book club members because, I mean, again, these are people that are doing this on their own time with no benefit like as far as certification or things like that it's for their own learning and that's the movement that you and I have been wanting to create this whole time with our podcast yeah let's learn exactly through math (laughs) with people on the journey yeah let's learn together and with hugs you know that and with hugs and with hugs (laughs) thanks for joining us we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and give us a five star review on your favorite podcasting platform we invite you to join the conversation on twitter by using the hashtag learning through math we'd love to hear your feedback make sure to tag us at Laura and Karina it's always a pleasure to talk to you to you too